when, when worship's like that, I don't want to get up and preach. I just want it to keep going. <laughs> I tell you, I hope you cherish that anointing. Amen? Because I tell you, I've been in churches that had mega choirs and beautiful instruments and wonderful singers, but they didn't have the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Amen? And it flows out of a heart that's after the Lord. So we're just so thankful. Give them a hand again of appreciation. So I'm Mike Atkins. I've been, this is my sixth Sunday preaching here, I think since May. And um, I just want to say I'm not a first-time visitor, but nobody has offered me any peach preserves. I just want to say that right out front. And I am, I'm a bit offended. So I'm going to try and get over that. So I'm, I'm expecting some peach preserves up here at some point. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, he's the way, the truth, and life. When I was a young believer... I came to believe or largely was taught the idea that Jesus said, there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. I did my part, I'm finished, now it's your turn. So there's the way, and here's the truth, now go live the life. And I'll be waiting for you in heaven, I'll cheer you along the way, help you out as much as I can, but largely I'm expecting you to get up there and then I'll kind of, when you get there, I'll I'll let you know how you did. And so for many years of my early Christian upbringing, I I really approached my Christian life that way. And as a result, I, I found that whatever this Christian life was, candidly, personally, I was having a hard time pulling it off. It wasn't really working for me. Oh, I had moments, and I was really good at appearance. But I'm talking about down in the nitty-gritty, down in the realities of everyday life, down in the places where you struggle. Not just with the areas of what we kind of think of as the big sins, but just in the areas of having joy, having peace, pursuing purpose, having a reason to get out of bed in the morning. There were so many areas in which the Christian life seemed to uh, escape me. Now, the tough thing was, in some of those years, in the beginning of those years, I was actually beginning to get into ministry. I was preaching, and I was teaching, and I was involved in ministry, but largely I was still living under the concept that there is the way, and here's the truth. Now go live the life. For some reason, I never really got that what Jesus said is not there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life itself. I am the actual dynamic and animating power of this Christian life. And in fact, the Christian life can't be lived apart from the dynamic and animating power of my life. But so much of our Christianity has come from the place and the belief system that it's really about what we do for Christ, not what Christ does through us. By the way, this is a theme that as often as you hear me preach, you're going to hear it in there. Because to me, as I said the last time I think I preached here, it is what I view as the theology of everything. It's the unifying idea behind everything I see and understand in Scripture is that Christ in me, living in me, through me, 
is my hope of glory. Which means, apart from Christ in me, living through me, I have no hope of glory. But with him, living in me and through me, I have the hope of glory. I can see God's glory and his presence and his power and his resource being expressed through me, but not through me trying to live my life for Jesus, but me learning how to let Jesus live his life through me, how to cooperate with his living presence in me. And if you've got a Bible, I have just a single verse that I wanted to focus on for a moment this morning and try and take you on a short little journey here. But here in John chapter 5 and verse 39... John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, but he's got an overflow audience of the rest of the people who are hearing as he's speaking to the Pharisees, he's also teaching them something. And he says these words in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. The Greek word is zoe the life that God himself possesses. And these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. In other words, they were living in a paradigm that believed that if they simply became familiar with the scriptures, if they they studied the scriptures if they had an in-depth understanding of the scriptures that, they would, that would result in life. But Jesus said, what you read when you read this is supposed to bring you to me. But you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Instead, you want to stick with, show me the way, give me the truth, and I'll go live the life. But he said, no, that's not the way this thing works. The scriptures are anointed. They are appointed. They are inspired. Theop noustos. They are the breath of God. But they are meant to bring you to me. So that in me you'll find life. That's why the Bible says in him was life. Zoe. And that life was the light of men. That's why the Bible says this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Zoe, the life of God himself. And that life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Whatever else you've got, you may have a good dose of religion. You may have a deep experience of theology. You may have a brilliant grasp of doctrine. But if you don't have him, you don't have life. And you see, the Pharisees were brilliant scholars of Scripture. And they were remarkably devoted to the rituals of religion. But they didn't have life. What they had was, there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. And suddenly in the midst of that, Jesus comes and says, listen, you search the scriptures rightfully so, because what they're supposed to do is to testify of me. But you won't come to me that you might have life. You see, they were living in the paradigm 
of that they were going to live their lives for God. And by the way, in living that paradigm, they killed the Son of God. You can get pretty far off base on your own. But Jesus was calling them not to live their life for him, but to come to him that he might give them life and then become that life in them to express that life through them. For many years of my Christian life, I didn't understand this. I want to try and take you on just one short little journey to understand the difference it makes, which paradigm you operate out of. I was sharing this in my little car church not too long ago, a few weeks ago, and it hit me one day that I was thinking about the verse of Scripture, one of the most familiar verses of Scripture in the Bible, Psalm 119. How can a man, young man keep his way pure? Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And when I heard that scripture, immediately I started wondering, what does that mean? To hide, I don't want to sin, that's what I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to live this Christian life, right? I'm trying to bring this off. So how do I do that? Well, apparently, one of the ways I do that is hide the word in my heart. And then that helps me not to sin against him. By the way, you need to know that my personal definition of sin is an acrostic, S-I-N. I call it a self-inspired narrative. Because every sin I ever committed, whether it was by doing something right, but it was the wrong thing because I was the one doing it and coming up with the plan, something that I thought was a good idea, or whether it's something wicked or evil, it always comes from me. Sin always comes from my idea. I start to write the story and leave God out of it. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they didn't commit some heinous crime. They just started writing their own story and leaving God out of it. Well, that's what sin is. So I I, I wanted to get to the point where I could say, Lord, I want to stop writing my own story. I want to stop my self-inspired narratives, whatever form they take. And as a result, your word says, if I'll hide the word in my heart, then I won't sin against you. So I went to a few leaders and people that I knew, and I said, so explain this to me. I was 19 years old. I was a young believer. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I got saved in a telephone booth, flunking out of college, you know. And I, I went to some, some people that looked like they knew what they were talking about. So what does this mean? And, you know, the most frequent answer I got was what you need to do is memorize Scripture and hide the word in your heart. So I thought, well, that's a great idea. So I'll start memorizing Scripture. And so I, I decided I was going to begin, you know, and I, I started with easy verses of Scripture, Psalm 23, you know, things that you, you, know, you kind of know even just it's in the air, you know. And I thought the more of this I get, the more I memorize scripture, then I'm going to get to the point that I'm, I don't come up with these self-inspired narratives anymore. And I got pretty good at it. I got to memorize a lot of scripture. And by the way, let me tell you, I'm one of the highest and strongest proponents of memorizing scripture. I think it's an amazing thing. I am so thankful to have as much of the word of God in my head and in my understanding as I do just from the years of preaching. But what I have to tell you honestly that, that maybe you haven't heard is that what I found is the more I knew the scripture, I found that I was becoming better and better acquainted with what was right and what was wrong, with how, how God thought about things. I found I was becoming more and more quickly able to come to a reference 
to prove something from Scripture as being true or something as being false. And I was becoming fairly adept at it. But what I have to tell you in all honest truth is the knowledge alone did not give me the power to perform it. Because knowledge does not by itself contain the power to perform it. And knowledge does not lead to life unless it leads to Christ. That's why the Bible says in the Garden of Eden there was a tree, two trees actually, that God pointed out. Over here, I want to make note, in all of the garden that I've given you, Adam, I want to point out right here is a tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. If you do, it's going to produce death. By the way, I want to mention there's another tree here I'd like to point out to you. It's called the tree of life, which if a man eats from it, he will live forever. Interesting that Adam was gravitated towards the tree of knowledge by the enemy. And in eating of the tree of the knowledge, it's interesting that he didn't just get the knowledge of evil, he also got the knowledge of good. And from that moment on, man was placed into a realm in which he was imprisoned by that knowledge. This is good, that's bad. This is right, that's wrong. This is accurate, that's inaccurate. This is true, that's false. Everything in his life, this is a good meal, that's a terrible meal. I'm having a good hair day, I'm having a bad hair day. Everything in our life is constantly under evaluation because our minds have been captivated by knowledge. And all of that knowledge did not give man a single bit of ability to choose good and reject evil. It simply told him what was good and what was evil. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder if you've ever done anything that you knew, intimately knew, at the core of your being was wrong. Well, I got some hands raised anyway. I didn't want anybody to be left out, so. It's interesting that the knowledge didn't prevent you from doing it. Because knowledge has no power. It has no capacity to change you. It only has the capacity to inform you. And the reason why man died when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because when he allowed sin to enter into his heart, he spiritually died. He was alive intellectually, emotionally, volitionally, physiologically, passionately, and all the other ways. But spiritually, the part of him that was meant to become the place in which God's spirit would come and dwell, that part of him died. Ezekiel calls it an old stony heart. And so as a result of that, Adam and Eve were thrust out into the garden with a head full of information and learning more and more along the way what is good and what is evil, but with no greater capacity, no increased capacity whatsoever to choose the right and reject the wrong. Only a greater understanding of the consequences. Now we come along and eventually we get to the law. And the law comes and it says, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, 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 or that. Here's 10. 
Out of that, we're going to emanate 430 more laws. And we're going to study them, and we're going to learn them, and we're going to become proficient in understanding them. We're going to engrave them on stone tablets. And yet the Bible says before the stone tablets were even finished, the people had already begun to break the laws that they knew. Do you know that the Bible actually tells us that the law was never given to be a source or a pathway to life? The law was meant to surround us and to expose us as having a problem in us called sin. The law could not lead us to life. All the law could do really is to reveal death to us. So the knowledge of the commandments did not provide the power to keep the commandments. They simply let men know when they had broken the commandments and kept them exposed, as the the writer of the New Testament says, until every man's mouth would be shut in self-righteousness and defending in the belief that he could be good without God. Now in the midst of all that, we have this verse of Scripture. Psalm 119, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So in my paradigm of there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life, I said, okay, so one of the ways I'm going to do that is I'm going to memorize Scripture. If you think about it, what are the Ten Commandments? Aren't they just a more prescribed and specific understanding of the knowledge of good and evil? As I began to memorize the scripture, I became proficient in knowing what it said, understanding its precepts, grasping its concepts, being able to discern when it was something that was being said by the Lord or not. I could see all that. I could understand that. And as I hid the word in my heart, I was becoming more knowledgeable about good and evil. But with it, there was no increased capacity to choose good and not evil. By the way, if you think I'm maybe overstating the case, look real quickly with me at what it says in the book of Romans. Let's look at Romans really quickly. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Paul the Apostle is speaking. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Most religious man probably on the planet. Brilliant scholar. Knew the word of God like you can't even comprehend. And yet it says in verse 14 of Romans 7, for we know that the law is spiritual. Nothing wrong with the law and nothing wrong with the word. There's something wrong with me. But I am carnal. I'm sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. I get it. I know good. I understand good. I know evil. I got it. I'm I'm knowledgeable. Paul knew right from wrong. That wasn't the problem. Verse 16, "If if then 
I do what I will not to do. I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin, this principle that I allowed in, that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, the outer man, nothing good dwells. But look what he says in verse 18. This is Paul the Apostle, Pharisee of Pharisees, religious of religious, scholar of scholars. He says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But there's this other law working in my members. And verse 24, what I call the cry of the human heart, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? How do I get out of this? As a young man, that was my heart's cry. I want to live this Christian life. As a pastor for 40 years, 43 years, my heart's cry is I want Christians to learn how to be the Christian they've become. But they're living so many times out of this old paradigm. There's the way, here's the truth. Go live the life. Get better familiar with it. Memorize it, understand it, know it, and you'll find that life is in that knowledge. You search the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. But you won't come to me that you might have life. So here's Paul the Apostle, wretched man that I'm, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in chapter 8 verse 2 he says, for the spirit of life that resides in Christ Jesus is what makes me free from the law of sin and death. Not knowing more accurately what's right and wrong but having the very power of the resurrection life of the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of me who alone has the capacity not just to know what's right and wrong, but to choose what's right and reject what's wrong by his life and presence in me. This is the only way in which this works. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But Lord, as I'm memorizing scripture and memorizing scripture and memorizing scripture, something I highly recommend that you do because it's a precious commodity and gift to have, but with it, the capacity to do it has not increased. Maybe it's because we have to look more deeply at what it means to hide the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, the Greek word logos, it means the will, the mind, the emotion, the nature, and the character of someone expressed, manifested. In the beginning was the will, the mind, the nature, the character of God. And the, word, the will, mind, nature, character, and will of God was with God, was God, and the will, nature, mind, nature, uh, character, and will of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. First John says it this way, that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have gazed upon, and which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. For the word was manifested, and we have seen him and beheld him. You see, what if the word of God is more than just what is written on tablets of stone and more than just what is written on parchments of paper? But the tablets of stone and the parchments of paper are meant to point to the person of Christ himself. Never to be discarded, Never to be diminished, but always to be used to fulfill their ultimate purpose, which is to bring us to the one who himself is the word of God embodied. The mind, the will, the emotions, the character, the nature of God himself embodying those principles is now available to come and live inside of you. To understand that is to go to a place beyond the simplicity of religiosity, beyond the shallowness of a life that says, Jesus came, he died, he finished, he went to heaven, he's waiting. Now there's the way. Here's the truth. Go live the life. Can I just say, maybe you're better at it than me. Good luck. Maybe you're better at it than Paul the Apostle was. Maybe you found the power within yourself to perform it. For me, I found myself on my face before God. I'd never been good at faking it. Because I wasn't raised in it. I just kept reading this and saying, Lord, it says this can happen in my life, but I don't see it happening. It says that this transformation should be what And as I would read the word, all I would read the word as is as this you're doing wrong, this is something you should be doing that's right that you're not doing, this is something, and it just became, you know, I've used the illustration before of spinning plates, you know. I'm just spinning plates trying to keep them all up there. But I'm not, they're falling, crashing, burning, Anybody else ever done this? Come on, okay, everybody. You know, in the, in the Bible, when Jesus said, you who are without sin cast the first stone, the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they drop the stones. The oldest people drop the stones first. The young ones were still like, well, I don't know, I'm not that bad a guy. Here's the point. What if to hide the word in our heart means something more? than just to memorize scripture. It's not, I'm not dissing memorizing scripture. Do you get that? Memorize all you can. 
I cherish having the word of God in my heart. I cherish having it in my mind and understanding. You know why? Because every time I can call upon that scripture and say, Lord, I thank you that what I can't do, you can do. What I don't know, you do know. What I can't produce, you can produce. What I don't have, you do have. I thank you that Christ in me now is my hope of glory. I thank you that I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You know when the Bible says, yet not I, the Greek word for I is ego. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not ego, but Christ, zawo, eternal life lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith, not in me, saying there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. Mm -mm, Not living that way anymore. The life I'm living today, I'm living by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why the Bible tells us to be rooted and grounded in Christ. To be filled with all the fullness of Christ. That's why Paul the Apostle said in Galatians, my little children of whom I travail again in birth until Christ is formed in you. Not you trying to form your own life for him. But him Forming his life in you. This is not about joining the club, paying the dues, showing up for the meetings, and adhering to the philosophy. Whatever else that is, it's not Christianity. Christianity is one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing only. Without him, we have beautiful buildings, marvelous pews, brand new carpet, gorgeous stained glass, inspiring songs, stimulating messages. And we are becoming more and more clearly brilliant in our understanding of good and evil. But without Jesus, what we have to offer the world is nothing. Do you think the world doesn't know right from wrong? Do you think they just need you to instruct them more? That's the problem? What they need is to know that there's somebody that can actually produce the power to perform it, I do not find, Paul said. Can I tell you, I've been at this for a long time, and I have really only one motive, only one. I yearn for people to know what it's like to have Jesus living in them. The difference between that and what we've called Christianity. Good people trying to do good things for a good God in gratitude for what he did for us. Rather than us becoming the very containers of his own life, yielded and surrendered entirely, body, soul, and spirit to the Lord because we are his. We belong to him. We've been bought with a price. 
people who have gone from spiritual death, intellectually alive, emotionally alive, volitionally alive, passionately alive, physiologically alive, brilliant in their understandings, willful in their choices, passionate in their devotions, yet spiritually dead, who have become spiritually alive by virtue of their spirit being quickened, And then, as Ezekiel 36 says, verse 26, then he takes the old stony heart out, he gives a new heart, and then he places his spirit in our spirit in order to cause us to walk in his statutes and keep his judgments. How does he do that? By us relinquishing control. By us stopping the, there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life approach. And saying, Lord, I can read all about the way and become an expert on the truth. But only you can live this life through me. I have to come to the place, Lord Jesus, where I become surrendered, yielded entirely to you to recognize that this is the very reason why I was created was to contain your spirit and be the temple of the Holy Spirit so that you could then begin to guide and to lead and to do through me what I could never do for you. This is Christianity. And once you understand it, you can read a scripture that says, Thy word, the Logos. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In him was life, that life was the light of men. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That life is what I've come to give you. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I've come to put my life in your life. And why did I come? To then watch you. There's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. Why? He is the word. He is in me. Now I can look at this, I can say, Lord, that's amazing. You can do that in me. Praise God, I could never do that. Be patient, forgive seven times 70. That's amazing. I can't do that. I can't even, I can't even forgive once or twice, three times, I'm out. You can do that. That's what you're like and you're in me. Praise God, you know what that means? When I get past my third forgiveness that I did for you and the fourth one starts to come up, I can go, you know what? I can't do this. And the Lord doesn't go, I'm so disappointed in you. He says, right? You got it? You can't do this, right? I can't. I know I should. I will to. But the power to perform it, I can't find. Good. That's where I'm trying to get you to, Mike. So why don't you step back and let me show you what this life looks like. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to call. The worship team's going to come, I know. Lord, only you can reveal to a heart. Your word says some seed falls on hard ground, and the enemy snatches it. Some falls on crowded ground. The cares of this life and deceitful and riches choke it out. Some falls on shallow ground. Immediately, everybody gets excited, but then persecution comes and it has no root. But some, 
Someone in here, this might fall on prepared ground today. And if it does, 30, 60, 100 fold, a, a new blueprint could start to be lived out. A new trajectory could start to be realized. If somebody were to come to realize that you never said, there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. You said, I am the way this works. I am the very embodiment of the truth itself. And I am the life itself. After you've lived and labored for a long time, under thinking that if you search the scriptures, you'll find the way to life. I sense Jesus is saying to someone, maybe several someones today, it doesn't matter if it's only one. Come to me that you might have life. I'm not talking necessarily about salvation, though maybe there's somebody here that needs to receive Christ for the first time. But what I'm talking about is realizing that it's not about faith in what you can do for him. It's about coming to understand what it means to have faith in what he can do through you. I just want to ask as the worship begins, as the song begins, that if there's somebody, even if it's one person, I don't care. And it's not about me seeing you do it. It's just something about you making a step of of decisiveness just to say Lord I want to learn what it means to have you be the way the truth and the life if you have that hunger or thirst or even inkling in your heart in just a moment I want you to come as they begin to leave